For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. In addition, if you were here last week, we framed this whole series as we talk about Imago Day, the foundational piece to these hard conversations. We talked about last week how we have two worldviews that we live in. The modern worldview says, you are your own. You are who you are. We see this, and we feel this, and we know this. Listen, this is the air we breathe. We see this in the movies we watch, and I'm not going to reiterate, I would encourage you to go back and watch last week's sermon if you missed it, but the premise that we believe as Bible-believing Christians is that as much as we appreciate and as much as that resonates with us as Christians, and we go back to the creation of mankind in Genesis 1, is that we have a conviction that we are not our own. We have a conviction that we were created with purpose from a transcendent higher being. That truth actually does not exist within us, it's outside of us. We must look to God for answers. And ultimately they are found in Christ. And so what I wanted to do is we landed on this place and I think I'd like to ask this question every Sunday to frame the message. It's where we landed last week in church. This is the question I have for you. I'd like you to respond back. Follow along on the screen. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches, keep going, keep going, next slide. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, All things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. My prayer is we would memorize this beautiful comfort. With that said, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look to your word, I pray in this moment, God, 
that we would find comfort in you. Lord, I just know in a room like this, many of us have different thoughts and opinions. And maybe even this issue today is something that we're not sure about, that we have questions about. Maybe we even disagree. Lord, I just pray that this would be a time when we encounter you, that your spirit would speak, that your word would speak, we would learn from you. And Jesus, that this would be a time where we remember that you are the answer. So speak, Lord, we are listening. In your name we pray, amen. So as I alluded to earlier, we, we have this premise to the Imago Day series that all of our, as we look to the answer for all the today's issues, it's all founded on the belief that we are not our own that God has created us in his image. But we must understand that the air we breathe says something very different. The age that we live in says something very different. The issue we're talking about today is the issue of abortion. You see, abortion says in the modern self that life is yours, you own it. It's your body, it's your choice. And this seems to make sense to us. We understand this. We do believe in the dignity of life. We do believe that, that you should not mistreat, that you should respect and honor other people's bodies. This is incredibly significant, and we don't just throw this out and say it's not true. 50 years ago, give or take, we had the verdict of Roe versus Wade, which said in our country, that you could not, that it was wrong to stop a woman from choosing to take the life of a baby being born inside her. And that was a fetus and not truly human life yet. And ever since that, there's been conversations and dialogue and heated debate about this issue about this life, what is happening within the life, in this life of a woman. What do we believe? And as we do this, I, 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 we look at this, we just recognize that abortion is rampant today. It is a part of the society we live in. It's been estimated that nearly 40 to 50 million abortions happen around the world. In America, maybe 3,000 per day with the rise of COVID, the rise of chemical availability. You can now order chemicals to, and pills to be had and just like that can be gone. And the conviction of our day is that abortion is welcome, it's an alternative because it's your body and your, and your choice of what to do with that. And we understand that and we see that. And as we think about that and respond to that, I would, I would invite you to look with me at what God says about mankind back in Genesis 1. The framework for our response to issues today. Genesis 1, 26 says this, and God said, 
let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, abortion says that life is yours and your body, it's your body and your choice. But here as we look at this and we look at what it means to be created in God's image, it seems to me that God's answer to this issue is that life is sacred. And it's really about God's design and God's purpose. Life is sacred. We call this the sanctity of life. This is the fundamental difference in worldviews. That life, you are not your own, but you belong to Christ himself, to God himself. You were created. You were intelligently designed. And you weren't just designed for your own purposes and your own plans. God beautifully, perfectly, wonderfully made you with purpose and design. This word sacred, when you hear this word, you may think, oh yeah, I think of like church buildings, I think of, of, I think of you know, hymns, I think of, 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 of kind of this, this more old, ancient, dusty word. The word sacred simply means connected with God. It means connected with God. And we see this in the image of God. When God created man, it says that God created mankind, man and woman, in his image, and it was good. It was very good, and there was something unique. God said we are created in his likeness, like him. And this image, as we talked about last work, last week, this image, Salem, means to be a representative. Every life, every person has value and dignity. Part of our worldview tells us every single life is important and sacred. This is so significant to us, church. It's so significant to understand that when I look at someone, I see them as an image of God. Now, we know sin entered in, as I alluded to, and they're distorted because of the fall, but not destroyed. And so as we think about this, in the text that we read today, there's a fundamental, important contention that Scripture makes. You see, many would say, yes, Logan, I agree, life is sacred. Life, that, that'll preach. But when does life begin? Is it as soon as you are born? Or is it on Conception. You read the scriptures and you read throughout, it seems to me that scripture is telling us that life begins in the womb. In the text that we read, Psalm 139, 13, look at what it tells us. David is writing. He says, for you, God, formed my inward parts. It says, you knitted me. Look at the language here. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you not see the value and the incredible power that he's talking about here? The beauty of creation and design. It says, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that you formed me, when as yet there was none of them. Once again, our belief, I don't belong to myself, there is a higher being, God himself, who exists outside of me, who created me with a design and a purpose. It's important that we just understand the difference in those worldviews. It's important that we understand that sometimes we're starting from two very different convictions. And I would encourage you as, you, as you have these kind of conversations, that you also recognize, I'm having conversations and dialogue with people that are images of God. And I better be consistent in how I interact with them as well. We see throughout scriptures, if it's Jeremiah 1.5 or Isaiah 44.2 or 49.1 or in Luke when it says that John the Baptist wept in his mother's womb, we know in scripture that the Bible teaches us that upon conception, life has begun. We see this. And maybe you don't, maybe you say, you know what, I get that, but I don't know about the Bible. I think just a rational mind would say, just listen to a sonogram. When you listen to a sonogram of a baby in a mother's womb, is the heartbeat the same? No. There's a unique heartbeat. As you look at this life, you see life moving. One of the greatest responses to this argument is just a sonogram itself. I find it interesting in this conversation. I just saw this week, there was a video of a young girl who had thrown a baby in a trash can. As I looked at the comments of this video, I saw time and time again nothing but outrage and horror. And we all agree with that. But listen to this. If this mother had simply went to a clinic and had a doctor kill that baby inside her, this would be a totally different conversation in our day and age. Why is that? Do you not see the issue and the inconsistency in the way that we're thinking about this? And, and listen, I. Every story has a name, and every, when we talk about abortion, I understand there's nuance, and there's, it's not just like it's out of comfort that people are having this. There's very real issues. There's very real reasons why these young women or women choose to have an abortion that are very real and hard, that affect their lives forever, that affect our lives forever. We recognize this. Let's not neglect this and just say, that's wrong, that's your problem. But I've, it seems to me, I sent a video out with a sermon from Matt Chandler. I hope you watched that. 
He talks about how in these conversations about abortion, we use this argument called the red herring, where we say, you know what, you shouldn't have, you know, you should be able to have abortion because look at the foster care system. It's so broken and so messed up. Why would I want that child to be in that? Or, 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 or think about this issue. Think about how this affects our, our society. Or, or think about how you know, th- this woman was raped and that's a horrible thing. And that's an evil thing. And why would we punish her for that? And all of that, I would say, yes, there's something wrong with the ro- foster system. There's something wrong and broken about this issue and we need to have love and care. But I don't think that the answer to that is killing babies. The answer to that is not saying this. It's called a red herring argument. We must also have answers for those things. Church, it seems to me as I've read the scriptures, as we've thought about this, as we read through all the scriptures, our conviction, listen, we must be a people of conviction today. Our conviction is that we are a people who defend and cultivate life from the womb to the tomb. Now hear this. Oftentimes, we get so focused on the womb that we neglect life after. We are about life from the womb to the tomb, images from conception to death. We are a people who are about the life that God has given us. And so it's, this is not just saying that, that, that we, we, we think about being active in these crises that young men and women are in when they find out that they're having a baby. We also are about being a part of the solution to what happens when that baby is born and they can't handle that. We also are about coming alongside. This is what the church has done if you go back and look at church history. In Roman times, there was a, when, when a baby was born and they couldn't handle it, they would take the baby outside the city. Have you heard this? And they would leave the baby to die in the elements. And the early church, because the early church has a conviction that we are a people of life and every single life is an image bearer of God, every single life deserves dignity, they would go and they would rescue those babies. Did you know that most orphanages, most care for babies are Christian organizations? Because we are a people of life. This is a part of our heritage. And I love the word defend and cultivate because I believe, once again, that this relates to how we are in the image of God back in the garden. Our creation has a design and a purpose and also a call. You go to Genesis chapter two when God, it tells us, first in one we learn that he told mankind, men and women, to be fruitful and multiply. In two it says that the Lord took the man, put him in the garden to cultivate it and to tend it. This is part of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Part of our call is to cultivate and tend to the garden. What is a garden? It's something that brings life. That word cultivate. That word cultivate. What is the Hebrew here? I never remember the Hebrew words. It's abad. The normal Hebrew verb meaning to serve to work a garden. There's hard work in keeping life and cultivating life, and that word tend is a word called samar, to exercise great care over, to the point, if necessary, of guarding. Guarding. 
We see in the garden narrative, one of the problems with Adam is that he wasn't guarding. A serpent creeps in. A serpent brings in lies. Sin itself comes in, and mankind has been called to be a people who defend and cultivate life. And so as we think about this as a church, as we think about this issue, it seems to me, if you share this conviction, and I wanted to say that, because some folks here are still thinking about this and not sharing this conviction, But if you share this conviction, if everything that I just said, you believe with me, there are implications for that. Scripture says, don't really listen to God's word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you share this conviction that we are a people who defend and cultivate life, hear this, church, hear this, brother or sister, you are called to defend the innocent. You're called to defend the innocent. There's there's no ifs, ands, or, or when. Or but, it's just a part of who we are. Genesis 9, 6 tells us this about murder. It says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has mankind been made, has God made mankind. The reason why we believe it is so evil to take life is because every life was created in the image of God and scripture tells us don't do that. And in the story of scripture, in the the story of scripture, you can see in the people of God there is compromise in this issue. In Psalm 106, verse 37, the, the author is writing, it says that they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Cain. The land was polluted with blood. Now we read this and we say, okay, Logan, we're not in abortion sacrificing our babies to idols and bales. But what is our idol today? In the Western world, what is our idol today? And it's my comfort, and it's my prosperity, and it's my future. And do you not see how an abortion may be sacrificing to those idols? How it may be saying, comfort, the, the opinions of others about me are more valuable than this life. Church, we're called to defend the innocent, the voiceless. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. An incredible man in the history of our nation who stood up for marginalized, for people that felt like they had no voice. Significant weekend for us. Significant call back to the justice that God's called us to. And part of this justice conversation has to do with babies, with innocent life. So church, we are called to defend the innocent and also you are called to cultivate life wherever you are.
You are called to cultivate life wherever you are. I believe this relates to you being an image bearer of God. It's not just about saying I'm gonna fight against these attacks, I'm gonna fight against this evil. It's also saying I'm gonna be a part of the life-giving work that Jesus invites us into. It's also saying that we're gonna do something. We are gonna grow because we belong to Christ. I'm not my own. I'm an image bearer of God. I'm a representative of him. When people see me, they should see his work in me in a dark and hurting world. They should see light pushing back darkness. In 2 Peter, Peter writes to the church and he's writing to them in the midst of a whole bunch of controversy. He says this, you therefore beloved, I love the way Peter talks to the church. He says, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, your own cornerstone. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Church, as we think about this, we must be a people who defend the innocence and cultivate life. How do we do this? Did you know that one of our missions partners here in Chowchilla is Trinity Pregnancy Center, an incredible organization that is about this very work? An incredible organization that is longing for volunteers and people to say, I need to join in being a people of life, being a people that can say to a young mom who's saying, I don't know what to do, I, 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 I'm so scared, that can say, we will come alongside you, we will give crisis in, in counseling. We will help you to know the other alternatives. To a young mom who's had the pain and the hurt of having an abortion, we will counsel you, we will care for you, because you are also an image bearer of God. Did you know that we have a counseling center here that is in the work, that is all about working and caring? Did you know that there's Alpha Crisis Pregnancy Center in Merced that does this work? We can be a part of these things, and it seems to me, as we ask this question, we should be saying, where am I in this? Where am I, as a body of Christ, believing that we are a people that are created in God's image, how am I joining in this? What is the part that I play in this? Perhaps it's in foster care. Perhaps it's in the adoption system of saying, I'm gonna be a part of the solution to help there be better alternatives for young moms, for their children. They give them up to the system. And as you think about this, I want you to understand something. When we talk about God's answer to today's issues, it's just so important See, church, our battle is not against humans. It's not against legislations. It's a spiritual battle. We just finished a year in the scriptures. We started in Genesis, and in Genesis 3, Satan shows up because Adam's not guarding and cultivating life. And there's sin enters in the world. And God makes these promises to Satan there is gonna be a curse, a curse that we're living with, but there's also a promise of a seed who will come. Remember this? Who will crush the head of the serpent. He will strike the heel. And all throughout the story of scripture, you can see this theme of Satan trying to kill the babies. 
trying to take out the seed. Right away in Cain, we see Cain, the first real death against another is murder. We see in Pharaoh, Pharaoh trying to eradicate all the Hebrews to kill all the firstborn children and the midwives are heroes. We see the story of Herod in the New Testament who's trying to destroy and kill baby Jesus when he hears of a king who's being born, the Messiah who he longed for. This is not necessarily a battle against Herod or Pharaoh or Cain. It's, it's Satan himself knowing that Christ is the answer to our issues. Hear this, church. That you are not the answer. Jesus is. This is why in Ephesians 6.10, when Paul is writing to the church, he says this, Finally, church, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Just put on the whole armor of God that you, church, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not, hear this, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Hear this, church. Colossians 1, we read this this week, says, He, Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We, church, hear this. Yes, we are a people who defend and cultivate life, but don't forget the core conviction. We are a people who believe Jesus is the only answer to our issues. What do we confess? We belong to him. You belong to him. We belong to him. Turn to the person next to you and say, I belong to Jesus. I was listening to a podcast this week from a guy named Rick Warren, a pastor at a church called Saddleback. He talked about how our identity should, not, should be more than just saying I'm a believer. It's more of I'm a belonger. And you know, as we think about this, as I think about the, the passages that I read this week of, the, of Christ and the way that he interacted with the world, We just recognize that folks watching online or people in this room, the statistics tell us there's a lot of trauma and pain and hurt and questions caused by abortion. If you have that, if that's a, a, a secret in your life or something that you have been dealing with for a long time, hiding, hurting, Please understand, I pray on this day that you understand this is not a day to condemn you. This is not a day to say that you are an evil, horrible person. It is a day to condemn an evil. But we believe that Christ's grace is sufficient for all. We believe, as we said, that we are all welcome here because we are all sinners in need of grace. 
Because all of us say, when we say we belong to Christ, it's because he is the one who has rescued us. Because we should never see each other by the things we've done or the mistakes we've made. That's not our identity. I love what Matt Chandler says. He said, you cannot outsin the cross. You cannot outsin the cross. Christ himself sent his only, God himself sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world so that we could belong to him and a part of your story, if you're living in pain and you, you're in that place, I just want you to hear that you are loved, that you are welcome, that you are absolutely a part of God's plan. In a few moments, we're gonna sing a song called, I'll Come to the Altar. It's a song of invitation. Because church, as we deal with these issues and as we have these conversations, we must remember that we must have them with Christ on our mind. We must ask his gentle and lowly spirit to speak. We must ask that he would give us a posture of his incredible way of being a people of grace and truth. We must be a people that say, you don't gotta live with these burdens, with this pain, because Christ has something for you, and he has a way of using even the darkest, hardest things in your life for his glory. With that said, I, as you think about that, I want to invite you to hear a story from one of our own. A story of God's grace. A true story in this, in this difficult time. So, Benthi, I'd like to ask you to come on up. And as Savinthia comes up, I asked, we've been talking to Savinthia for a bit this week and asking her if she'd think about sharing a little bit of her story. And she prayed about it and she fasted and she wanted to share this with you, her family. And if you could, would you just listen to her a little bit? Okay. Um, I'm Savinthia Johnston. Um, and I'm, I am gonna tell you about my story. Um, let's see, here we go. I came to Christ when I was 13. Shortly after accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I had a doctor appointment to see what a lump was in my stomach. So I was told that I had a cantaloupe-sized tumor on my ovaries, and at the age of 13, in my 13-year-old thoughts, I wondered if I would ever have children. I have always wanted to be a mother, even at a young age. Knowing my grandmother would pray with me, we pleaded to God and asked for me to have a child or children. God gave me mercy, and the doctors were able to save an ovary. Time had passed, and I am now 19. I had fallen away from my roots of Christianity. I found myself expecting a child. I knew I couldn't handle a child in this situation. I chose abortion. took away the very child I had pleaded God for. I knew it was wrong. As time, my fear 
was greater than my faith. I cried uncontrollably for months. I prayed and asked God's forgiveness. He was so gracious. And he forgave me. Again, time moves on, and I met Brian. I knew my, he knew about my abortion. He had told me that he was not sure if he could marry somebody that would do such a thing. But God, because God touched Brian's heart, we are now married. And giving me mercy once again, God gave me our three boys. My life was still in shambles. Not sure, not because of Brian or because of my children, I had the burden of my sin. The shackles were tremendously heavy. Even though of God's forgiveness, I had an extremely difficult time forgiving myself. God opened the door again, and he's, I attended um, a forgiven and set free ministry, which this is where God truly gave me mercy and grace. He taught me how to forgive myself and how to truly love again. I can now love fully with all that I am. God's mercy is my freedom. Remember that God loves you so much that no sin is too great for his forgiveness. He said, um, God, God does love the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, whenever you're in the clinic, they don't tell you what's going to happen afterwards. They don't tell you the trauma that you're going to experience for the rest of your life. I'm 51, and it happened 30 years ago. So it's still there, but because of God's grace and because of his mercy, we are forgiven and set free. Church, I wanted you to hear Savinthia's story because I love what she said in the end, his mercy is my freedom. None of us look at Savinthia any differently because of God's grace is so incredible. And I love how in this moment, God got to use something that was so hard and dark to share his light of his grace and his mercy. I love that we are a people that believe that every single body, every single life belongs to Jesus, and even for the children that have been lost, that they belong to him. And my prayer is that all of us would join Savinthia in being a people that do repent of those evil things. That you say, Lord, I turn from those, and I, but, but we don't hold on to them, that we believe that the cross is enough and it's dealt with that. And for all of us, we have those things. I know in CR we talk about those family secrets. We must be a people who release those. We must be a people who trust that Jesus is the answer to our issues. And so it's perhaps today Perhaps today is really hard because this brings up or triggers some hard things in your life. I just want you to hear this. 
your church wants to be with you. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. A few moments, we're gonna sing a song. And as we sing this song, I just wanna encourage you. It's called, O Come to the Altar. It's a song of invitation. And whether you're watching online or here in this place, I just encourage you to just have some time with Christ. Have some time with the answer. And sing it, or let it be sung over you, and believe it, and be thinking about what it means as a church to be a people who say we are a people who defend and cultivate life. We join in the work that Savinthia does in saying I cultivate life by sharing the resurrecting work and power that Jesus has done in me. You pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the incredible comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, that I belong to you. I thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient, that it is enough, that you speak into those dark, hard places, God, and sometimes Lord, we just confess that maybe we haven't let go, we haven't, we haven't repented or confessed those things to you, God, and maybe right now in this moment, you are calling us to do that. I pray, Lord, as we sing this song, that as we, as we come to the altar, that we would just give you those things, the pornography that we've been looking at, the sin that we've been partaking in, the anger that we've been allowing to control us, the abortion from our past, the drug addiction, the, the lying, the evil, all of that, God, that is the attacks of the enemy, but we know that you bring grace to that. We know that you deal with that, so we pray, God, that we leave that at the cross. We pray, God, that we are a people who are transparent and authentic in our need for you. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak in mighty ways this week. I pray that you would work in our groups. I pray that you would work in our programs. I pray, God, that this church would be a people and a place of your gospel-giving life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work and cultivate your garden in the hearts of these people. I pray, Lord, that whatever you are speaking in this moment, that we would join Savinthia in standing and saying, I belong to you, Jesus. Giving our lives to you because there's no other better place to belong. There's no other more capable, powerful, perfect arms that we can land in. Oh Lord, I pray that you, the good shepherd, would go and get your sheep. We give this time to you and we trust you and we pray this together in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, together we pray, amen.